1: Hi, everybody. Welcome to Who Cares About the Rock Hall, a podcast about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I'm your host, Joe Quazala, and I know entirely too much about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. To some, that is embarrassing. With me, as always, someone who I think it is embarrassing to know me and to be a part of this, but she's along for the ride. Anyway, it's my co-host, the skeptic, the voice of the people, Kristen Sutter. Hi, Kristen.
0: Hello, Joe. Wow. Yeah, embarrassing to some.
1: To you specifically, you're Mostly embarrassed for me. me.
0: I'm very embarrassed for us as a as a whole, as a podcast, as a community. But also I'm each day like inching closer and closer to some point. Of, I'm proud that I remember things now, but I'm also sad about it.
1: Well, <laughs> I, I, well are, I hope you're enjoying the bad pun theme oh, month God. that we're in right now. <laughs> uh, we are... In the second week of Doc Gist, our celebration of the documentaries of this year's Just rolls Rock and Roll. right
0: off the tongue. Doc Gist, it,
1: to, it has to be bad, you know the rules. Uh, but yeah, we are we are taking a look at the documentaries of the inductees this year because there were quite a few. Very recently, uh, we did the Black Godfather last week, and this week, very excited to have two members of the team behind. The Go Go's documentary. First up, we've got the editor, continuing our streak of talking to the editors of these films. We've got Brett Banks. Hello, Brett.
2: Hello, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure to be here.
1: And Brett's not alone. He brought with him the director of the film, Allison Elwood. Hi,
0: Allison. Hey, so fun to be here. Absolute get can't believe it. Wow.
1: Yeah, we're we're very excited uh, to talk to talk to you both. So I I will pose the question that I pose to all of our guests up top. First thing out of the gate, and we can start with you, Brett. What is your level of familiarity with this bizarre institution called the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame?
2: Well, Like many, I think the Rock Hall is something uh, I've heard of. I'm aware that it's there. I know it's a big deal, but I've never put too much stock in it. You know, I I feel like for so long there have been a ton of overlooked artists who maybe don't have the sales on Billboard charts that maybe aren't recognized by the Rock Hall. Same time, it's in Cleveland, Ohio. I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio, so... It, it puts Ohio on the map, so I like that about it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, I think that's that's a good reasoned uh, experience with the Rock Hall and feeling about it. Uh, Allison, what about you?
3: Uh, kind of similar to Brett, you know, I you know was aware of it, and you know would see certain you know f- we've obviously worked on films that have artists that have been inducted, so I've worked with footage of it before. You know, I never followed it particularly so, but, you know, it was funny with the Go-Go's because I was so sure that they were going to be inducted before we finished the film that we were going to have to take out the little stings at the end. Mm. And Brett and I were prepared to remove those, and when they didn't, we're just like, ah, screw it, we're keeping them in. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, it comes, it has come up a lot on the show, but we think the documentary did a great service in terms of providing the momentum to get them on the ballot and then get them inducted.
0: I think it a reminder. Yeah, it feels like, yeah, like a reminder. It's a way to raise consciousness around a band. We often say, because during the non-ceremony season, uh, the like season. <laughs> in the off season. Oh my gosh. In the off season, our show is about like bands who aren't inducted and if they will get in, why, how, and you know, when, etc. And one of the things we often say, you know, well, they could get in like, you know, five to 10 years from now, unless someone makes a documentary about them next year and then their chances go up. Because people are talking about them. It happened. We've seen it quite a few times in the past. Couple of years.
1: Yeah. So that, that it's interesting that you say that the, uh, you were so sure they were going to get in, but it's almost like a, a fail safe on some level because it, it comes up in the movie. Yeah.
3: Twice.
0: Well, yeah. She right. calls out Jan Wenner by name.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah, Belinda does.
0: Belinda does and calls out not being in the rock hall because of, you know, them not being grateful enough for him putting, saying that they put out on the cover of a magazine. Um, <laughs> And then, yeah, at the end, there's that whole stinger. But, but funny about that, when we
3: were at Sundance, the magazine officially belatedly apologized for saying that.
0: <laughs> who, who, on behalf of who? Like, did they send you? Like, who no, sent it? Was it? in the magazine.
3: Do you remember who wrote it, Brett?
2: No, but it, I think in Rolling Stone's review for the uh, for the doc after we played at Sundance, yeah, someone just snuck in a little. A little side note that like whoops you know turns out we got that one wrong <laughs> mm-hmm. omitting the go- so yeah, yeah. So, so at least i i actually never knew much about rolling stone's connection with the rock call before getting into the go-go so yeah um, it's just it's a strong one
0: yeah i had heard of it because obviously about our sh- on our show and stuff but i just listened to like the jan Werner biography and i now I'm like a hall truther <laughs> about how intertwined Rolling Stone and and also just the institution of the record industry is so deeply just enmeshed in the decision-making of who, especially in the formative years, like who gets in, who's worthy, all of that stuff. Yeah. And is it true that
3: you have to lobby?
0: Um,
1: You know, it is and it isn't. We know of cases where very powerful people wanted an artist to get in and they didn't
0: yeah if you could lobby your way in like the jay giles band would be in
1: right foreigner would be in there are very powerful people who if they truly did have unilateral decision making that those bands would be in but they're not but you know you do need someone in that room in that nominating committee to bring up the name and if you know those people and you establish a connection with that person And you can convince them, I mean, I have tried to do it on behalf of bands I have no business dealings with that I have no connection to, just because I think about this a lot, and I'm insane. But we also know somebody whose management company paid for a flight to New York to the nominating committee so that he could nominate the band that they got in. So it's all over the spectrum. Sometimes it's just, you know, they're an obvious choice. And sometimes it's an advocacy.
3: Well, we're in an odd industry that that feels compelled to award ourselves in the first place. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. And it, it, you know, you can say it's it's a weird position to be in because you can say, like, well, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. The whole idea of the award is is false on its on the very notion of it. But then you're like, well, it keeps happening. And yeah. <laughs> And maybe we could work from within the system to try to try to push it in the right direction.
0: Yeah, Joe's a reformer and I'm an abolitionist. So <laughs> okay. that's a good
1: way to put it. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever put it in those terms exactly, but I think that's I think that's accurate. Um I would love to know how this documentary started. Like what were the what was the genesis of the idea?
3: The band actually uh, they loved the Eagles film that I did and they As felt- do I. Thank you and they felt it was honest and and they had they were really gun shy after their behind the music the vh1 thing mm-hmm. that really focused on the salacious um, or, the,
0: i yeah. sorry, i forgot about, i i kept thinking when i was watching the movie today and i apologize for interrupting but like i kept being like why do i know about how hard they partied i'm like i remember there being like a video of them wasted and trashed on tour and i was just like why do i and you just saying that i'm like it's from their freaking behind the music that is yeah it really was quite salacious yeah
3: mm-hmm. sorry and they,
0: they were no they were super gun shy but when they saw the eagles film
3: they said okay so we you know i had phone meetings with them personal meetings with them and you know, we finally just, I finally just said, look, it, this is a, an issue of mutual trust and I have to trust you as well because I don't want to do this delicious thing. I'm interested in the music. I'm interested in the growth in the songs. I was a fan, a huge fan. I didn't know as much about their punk roots as Brett did, I think. And you know, and Brett I've worked with on so many films and he's one of my absolute number one go-to guys. And so I brought him in and Brett, you tell your part of getting into this. <laughs>
2: Actually, it's funny learning about the Go Go's punk roots. That was what hooked me. Um, but Allison gave me a call one day, letting me know that she was going to direct a doc about the Go Go's. And this was at that point all I really knew was our lips are sealed and we got the beat. So I quickly, I quickly just wanted to. Of course, I said yes. But I quickly wanted to know, like you know, what else is there? And it didn't take long to find videos and photos of their early days before jane knew how to play guitar you know <laughs> right. and just seeing seeing this band that so many of us know from like you know watching highlights on mtv or something and as this super not quite bubblegummy but a definite pop group and and seeing where they came from and being legitimate punks who crawled out of the same scene as you know as the germs uh, the germs and as the plugs and i mean so many like legitimate punk punk yes bands. like punk
1: cred punk like
0: this yeah, is some fooling crusty around. bands <laughs> were intense and hardcore
2: totally and, and like early photos of jane weedlin who is the sweetest and tiniest pixie of a person (laughs) uh seeing photos of her as a 17 year old girl where she looks like she's ready to get in a fist fight with anybody who crosses her or something (laughs) like that yeah that this is a band that there was there's so much of their story that i think allison uh quickly wanted to untap and share with everyone so
1: and like there there really is so much incredible footage from that time
0: there was so much footage of even their very earliest stuff what an amazing thing and then also that their first manager was just like I took pictures of everything all the time (laughs) and like how amazing you know and to get all of the cooperation from all of those people is like pretty great Yeah.
1: No, it was, it was, it was amazing. Yeah. I mean, was that difficult to find or was it readily available once you talked to the right people?
3: I mean, it's out there. It it took some digging Mm -hmm. and it took more importantly toward the end when we needed to actually finish it and find better quality versions of some of the stuff. That's when Brett and I were literally pulling out our hair going, we can't use this. It's like, you know? Yeah. Right. (laughs)
1: Unwatchable. Yeah.
3: Yeah. But no, there's a lot of great stuff. You know, it's weird because I had just, you know, I was also simultaneously kind of finishing the Laurel Canyon series and Laurel Canyon stuff had footage that was film that was shot earlier, but mm-hmm. film holds up so much better than videotape, especially the early videotape. Mm-hmm. So the quality was... Ironically, better 10 years earlier than it was in the early 80s. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That also that feels like a microcosm of both those scenes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> one is like down and dirty, one is, you know, very, you know, up in the canyon, very clean yeah. and-
3: but we kind of just went with that as a style. In fact, you know, we we kind of use that kind of grittiness. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, for our, our titles and animation and stuff, we wanted we embraced it.
1: Yeah. It and it it absolutely works. The aesthetic comes across for sure. And I thought the choice to kind of begin the movie not dwelling on their childhoods, but focusing rather on the connection to punk when punk entered their lives felt super important.
3: Yeah.
0: It was that moment of the spark. I felt like the film spends more than half on the rise before they get famous, before they break, before it starts with, OK, we don't know how to play instruments. And then it goes up. Through, like, I feel like it's like they don't even get their first record deal until over halfway through the, the movie. And so you're watching them grow and learn. We just did, you know, it's darkest. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's better. I really like darkest more than Fulai, I, will say I'm enjoying it a lot more. I like the subject matter a lot more. Um, but I think that one of the, the coolest things about it was I, I learned a lot that I didn't know. I had a surface level awareness of the band. I felt like it focused more, less on the salaciousness and more on the, the friendships. And there was drama, but like it wasn't an, a National Enquirer piece. Like, and the fact that they were all on board to agree to be interviewed, even the band members who had been fired and who, you know, and the manager who had been fired and all of that stuff. It's like the fact that they were, that they came back together at the end. I was like, that makes me feel nice.
3: <laughs> yeah, was that ever at all an issue? It was an issue for uh, Margot and Alyssa. It took quite a bit of convincing.
1: I mean, I can imagine that's Alyssa Bello, the original drummer, and uh, Margot Olivaria, the original bass player, because you know both of them were kicked out of the band. And then there's Ginger, who was their manager from the very beginning and through a lot of their success, but was pushed out kind of at their peak.
3: Ginger was
2: on board pretty much right away. A lot of those relationships uh, over time, as you learn, kind of were frayed and have gone through challenges. And Allison was a huge part of bringing these people together. And there was a ton of work, you know, where Allie and our producers were really working to get these women to be comfortable enough to be vulnerable enough to participate.
0: Well, I mean, you know, if there's going to be a band that has had some bad blood, you know, you've already done the Eagles documentary. <laughs> <laughs> and so, Yeah, it was just like, like a cakewalk the after the Eagles sailing. documentary. Good Lord.
1: <laughs> I mean, do you feel like you developed that skill? Maybe on the Eagles documentary, you have to talk to, uh, I mean, you have to convince the most like famously fraught rock band. And now it's like, well, if I did the Eagles, I can, I can do anything.
3: I always say that the Eagles was a film about male anger and the Go-Go's is a film about female pain. <laughs> Ooh, that's
0: very that's true. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I like that. And I, 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 got a, every rock hall connection, I have to point out Robert Hilburn, one of, one of their early songs about a, a rock critic who was on the nominating committee for a very long time from the very beginning of the oh. rock call. But, you know, I think by the time he heard that song, from what I understand, by the time he like learned about it, because it was not like obviously on an album, it was just like an early, uh, messy song that they would scream. He was already like on board with the Go-Go's and he thought like, oh, that's interesting. Did you consider talking to, to Bob Hilburn?
3: We did. I, Brad, do you remember? I, he, he said he wouldn't do an interview about it. He doesn't do interviews about that. on any of this anymore, I don't think. I don't remember exactly. We did reach out to him.
2: Yeah, I I think we wanted his take on it because Robert Hilburn became one of our favorite Go-Go songs. I mean, (laughs) Yeah. 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 That's why it made it in the film. That's mm-hmm. why we wanted to, you know, give it a give it a beat to feature it. And it's one of those sequences where we throw the lyrics up. Uh, right. to yeah. it, mm-hmm. and, well, it gets its moment, yeah. Yeah, it definitely gets its moment. Well, I, I
1: will let you guys know that uh, he will not talk to us either, so.
3: <laughs> yeah, I don't think he does interviews.
1: I think, even though he has a radio show, I think he's a relatively shy man.
3: Yeah, ah. in, in the end, he ended up liking them and he gave them good reviews.
1: Right, yeah, so... That's uh, that's really the irony of it, I guess. It was a uh, mutual respect for two
2: titans, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, he was.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, he's like he's one of the great rock critics of all time, I suppose, great in the sense of I guess enormity at the very least. Mm. It's also the movie to me almost felt a little bit like classically assembling a crew. Type movie. <laughs> like yeah. the way it is the way it is spaced out is is so fun because it's like, okay. Belinda Carlisle is the singer. And then on drums is this woman Alyssa Bello. And then margo Olivaria is on bass. And then Jane Wheedland is playing guitar. And none of them really know what they're doing, but they're punk. And then they bring in Charlotte Caffey, this classically trained musician, and she brings musicianship to the group. And then they get rid of Alyssa and they bring in Gina Shock, this incredible drummer from Baltimore who is really good and whips them into shape and has a work ethic. And then they get ginger, this manager who really believes in them and has a vision for them. And then when it's not working with Margo, they find Kathy Valentine who joins the group and she fits perfectly as their new bass player. Uh, Then they sign at IRS records. So Miles Copeland who managed the police and was Stuart Copeland's brother. And he, has a vision for them as well. So you, you kind of assemble the crew to make the Go-Go's what the Go-Go's are. And I thought the, the pacing of it elevates in, in a way that it gives you that excitement that you get with
3: a heist movie. That's an interesting way to look at it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: no, that's amazing. I, yeah, I remember early on how great the shoots were with these women, but like how individually unique each of them are. Mm-hmm. I think, like, from the beginning, Ali, I think you were stressing, like, each individual needs their due and needs their moment or their few moments. So, yeah, assembling the squad. I mean, they're kind of like a, a superhero team in a way. They all, they each have different powers. Uh, and I guess that's <laughs> what makes every great band a great band,
0: I remember seeing them when I was like a young kid and being like, look at these pretty women doing their thing. They're like, why did we make it? And it's like, oh, well, you know, the songs are good and we're talented and like all of that stuff. But it was also a very beautiful package that they wound up in, in a way.
3: Yeah, but they had to fight hard for that package. That package oh, yeah. That wasn't a sellable package at the time. They were trying to sell it and they got rejected, rejected, rejected. They just kept working really hard. And obviously, you know, Miles came in and saw them and believed in them and, and was willing to take a chance where others weren't because n- no one had done what they were doing at before them. They were the first. They were the only first all-girl band to write their own songs and play their own instruments and to be put together by themselves. They weren't, yeah,
2: you know, I know Miles has a great line when he talks about signing them. And, it, you know, he's like, they're from L.A., they're punks and they're all girls. Like it was perfect. And I think it took someone with a sort of outsider mentality like Miles Copeland to take that first step that I think probably pop culture later, well, pretty quickly hopped on.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And,
2: I, and the, that quote that you said
1: that I like that you forgot to mention was, it doesn't even matter if they're good. They happen right. to be good. But very like, true. there's, there's all these, which I love that. There's all these elements that are so interesting, like, fuck, like they don't have to be good already. We just have something that you kind of want to see play out, but then they also happen to be great and, and have great songs.
0: Well, and I think what's fascinating about that to him, he's like, it's obvious this is a slam dunk. And then also they're very good at writing songs and playing music and stuff. But, you know, label after label after label before that had seen that exact same thing and been like, yeah, no, that's not a winning combination. And he was like, it's such an obviously winning combination. And we now, I think, have retconned that into our subconscious. We're like, yeah, a girl band. Now it just seems so clear that it would be such a success because we know it was.
1: I, I just want to point out that maybe the the greatest accent in all of documentaries is Gina Shuck's Baltimore accent. Like, yeah. it, it is you know, not what you, at least not what I was expecting, especially from what you consider to be an LA punk band. That was a real, I mean, I'll say it, it was a shock. Apologies, Um, (laughs) but but, like it it really, I'm from Pittsburgh. So that like mid Atlantic area, I am very familiar with that type of accent. And I gotta say, I never, I I never, (laughs) I never got tired of of hearing Gina shock. You like, you know, we we gotta, (laughs) we got practice. (laughs)
2: <laughs> it's not an accent that uh, I I think most mortals can even get close to imitate. Like if you're not from Baltimore, you can't even touch that thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, really excellent. I really like the way that, especially for the the pivotal song creation, the way that the the film gets you into that songwriting mindset. Like we get that with Charlotte describing how we got the beat came to her almost like as divine intervention while yeah, she's in watching. in like a fugue state. So yeah. Yeah. And then also later when we get, I think the story of Our Lips Are Sealed is a, is a really interesting one where they were touring with the specials overseas. And then, you know, Jane Wheedland develops a little bit of a romance with Terry from the specials. And after the tour, he sends her some lyrics, which she really connects to and then builds upon that. And it becomes Our Lips Are Sealed. One of their biggest songs.
3: And he did the song too, which is interesting. And at one point we had his version in. Mm-hmm. And it was fun to hear the difference of them. It doesn't matter what they say. No one listens anyway.
2: What was his band called that played their version of our lips or seal? I almost forget. It was like the the fun, oh, the, the fun, fun- boys. Fun boys. Fun boy.
0: Oh. Fun boys three. Fun three, yeah. Yeah. Is it boy called three. the Fun Boy Three? I think it's just Fun Boy Three. Fun Boy Three. Fun okay, three. good. Yeah. I'm like, I like that. Does that shouldn't have a "the" in it? You know, when I was seeing, when I was watching that, she was just like, he sent me the lyrics, and I started with those, and then I, you know, made kind of like wrote the song or whatever. And I was like, gosh, you know, how does he feel about that or whatever? And then I saw later on, there's a whole bunch about who's getting credit for writing what song. And then I see our lists are sealed, and then she gets a songwriting credit, and then he also had gotten songwriting. credit credit on that song as well I'm like, yeah. oh, question answered
3: well I also love the way the animation helps tell those stories mm-hmm. um, I thought it was really fun we wanted to go with something very 80s neon bright but a little punk and edgy and everybody gets their moment with that which is great
1: yeah and also listening or hearing the passion that the members of the specials and madness yeah. still have for the go-go's is really really infectious
0: yeah, I thought it was super cool that there there's so many like really excellent, perfect sound bites that people just give where, you know, they're like, great. So we're going to start a band. There's just one problem. Like we can't play any instruments or whatever. You know, it's like they they really like get they do the setup and the and the punchline, you know, and that thing about how they went over, had this really hard, rough time in the UK. And then they come back to the US and everyone's like, you're stars in the UK. Welcome. Congrats. Then they start taking off here. Well, they, what they said is
3: that they hadn't really launched in the UK. It was horrible for them. Right. But because they had the stiff single and they came back, people thought they'd launched and they, and they say at one point we, and we weren't going to tell them otherwise. Yes, exactly. Why,
1: why just let them go with it and go with it. Ride the wave. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Was there, I mean, the movie does not have any footage from the UK tour, does it?
3: Well, we pretend we do.
2: <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, there, there are some photos. Uh, There's some right. photos of the UK tour. Yeah, but no one was shooting during that. But but yeah, we do kind of we weave in a few early performances to kind of impressionistic put you there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, give if it's not literally the UK tour, it gives you the
1: vibe. Yeah, we yeah.
3: searched and searched for that, and uh, you know somewhere I'm sure something exists, but we we weren't able to come across it, which is too bad. But, you know, I think between the stills and some of the earlier stuff, you know, you you get the sense of what it was like for them there. But the thing is, is that they really because it was so they were under such duress and being spit at and bottles thrown at them Mm -hmm. and screamed at that. They actually that, you know, their attitude was like, well, we're going to get better and fuck you. And they did. They got tight. Mm -hmm. So by the time they got back to L.A., not only did people think that they had become stars, they really had because they'd figured it out. Yeah.
2: Yeah, nice when that works out. I guess it's a good lesson about the value of being spat upon by audiences nightly. <laughs> I don't I don't know. <laughs>
0: For, forged in the fire. Hardened in the fire. like cast yeah. iron. I think too, also like seeing LA in the 80s as someone who lives in Los Angeles right now was like really so fun and wild to think about Hollywood being a cool crusty place where punks go I'm like Hollywood is where tourists go (laughs) you know where that club is and stuff I'm like yeah that is not like a cool would would never go there to find anything interesting to find anything like interesting or like the next big thing is not going to be coming out of Hollywood Boulevard in that Area. There was like that moment in the film where I really just was like. oh wow it's like when you see the we got the beat video I think it is or yeah it's the one where they're in the convertible
1: it's our, the our are sealed.
0: they're in the convertible and it's just oh wow yeah they look so sunny everything had been so all this club footage and things like that and you see that the way that the public met them though was sunny California girls driving around in a convertible and
3: I love the story that, that they that they were so mad about having to do that video there were a lot of funny things so we had to leave. Trying on the- to get arrested. Well, that, trying to get arrested, but also that they just so didn't want to do it. They're like, this is stupid. What's MTV? We don't want to do this. And but we'll, we'll at least get arrested. And then that didn't happen. And
2: it's a rough day for them. <laughs> I, I, I mean, one of the one of the coolest parts of their story to me was, um, was how the producer of Beauty and the Beat, Richard Goddard, who Mm -hmm. is this minor titan of pop music songwriting. I believe he wrote the song, I Want Candy. He goes back to things like that. He produced girl groups. I think he did a Shirelles album. But somehow he was the one producing Beauty and the Beat. And I love when Gina Shock, the drummer, mentions that you know they're in the studio, they're trying to work out the kinks, and Richard Goddard instructed them to just lower the tempo of every mm-hmm. single song slow it and, down yeah and so it, it's sort of like it turns punk music into pop music when you do that and that's another part of the like you said with the our lips are sealed video on the sunshine and the convertible that plus a seasoned pop producer <laughs> this is kind of what happens it's, it's really interesting
3: and they hated the album when they first heard it they hated it
2: Right. Because they said,
3: it doesn't you, sound like us. We don't sound punk anymore. They were really angry. And then suddenly it starts getting all this airplay <laughs> Right.
1: Right. Yeah. Because I got to imagine there, there's some degree of you feel like you sold out and like the scene you came out of is no longer going to accept you. and
3: And they didn't. There was backlash.
1: Yeah. Why don't we take a quick break? And then when we come back, we'll have more to talk about with the director and editor of the Go-Go's documentary. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We hope you had a nice break. We hope over your break, you learned a fun fact. We learned a fun fact. And also
0: that you gave someone a nice compliment.
1: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Fun fact we learned over the break. So there's a part in the movie where Kathy Valentine has to sub in. She's not the bass player yet. Uh, She's subbing in for Margot, the original bass player who is sick. And she has to learn all the go-go songs on the bass, an instrument she does not really know how to play. And she does it in like a three-day coke binge, uh, super, (laughs) super focused, like trying to figure out. And you hear that in the movie. You hear, you know, what is, in quotes, her learning those bass lines. The person actually playing the bass? Why? It's Brett.
4: Thanks.
2: I I and many times. I feel heard. Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess the way that scene came together, uh, obviously Kathy tells the story beautifully about how she decides to go on a three-day Coke bender after lying about her, her skills on the bass. But yeah, I, I guess while editing the scene, I was just kind of reaching for a little soundtrack that would sound human. And uh, so I picked up my bass and it, it's one of the benefits of being a musician. When you work on a music doc, you can really like crawl into the skin of these characters in a way and play what they play. So, yeah, I, the three-day Coke bender didn't happen for me. I, I maybe had, <laughs> uh, I had like a beer and a whiskey, tried to get loose, you know, mm-hmm. tried to tried to play slow. But, uh, but yeah, that was one of the fun little nuggets in the movie.
0: Yeah, I remember, I was like, oh wow, they have incredible archival material.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it does kind of morph into instrumental splits of some of their songs that we were luckily able to get our hands on. And like, those were so much fun to play with.
1: Like, do you mean you had like the actual stems uh, yeah. from the track? Okay.
2: Exactly. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So we were able to, you know, hear everyone's individual playing and kind of make it feel like you're hearing their voice uh, here and there with that as well. So
0: that is so cool. Yeah. I feel like when I was watching this, I was like, I just, Kathy Valentine has been to therapy and it. Shows. <laughs> I was like, she's a wisdom. We just, yeah. We just love a person who can be like, we did not have the tools that we needed, we did not have the emotional capacity to be the people that we needed to be for each other at that time. And I recognized that and I was like, oh my gosh, this is a person who has healed. (laughs) This is someone who has worked through their trauma. It was like very cool to hear someone just so accurately be like, we were young and we could not support each other in the ways that we needed at times. We were ignoring big problems that other people were having because we were having our own problems. And I was like, All right, Kathy. That that
3: one moment during the talk show recording where she sums up everybody's issue, like boom, 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 boom. And then she goes, and I was part of it too. You know, it's like, it it was amazingly insightful. They're all amazingly insightful. They're all, I mean, the the most fun thing for me was just how incredibly smart and funny they are. And their banter together is very real. And I'm so glad Brett got to experience a bit of it at Sundance because- It's just rapid fire. They're comedians. They really are.
0: There are so many cute, endearing, real moments between them. And the whole like clown family thing, I think, is like one of the cutest things I've ever seen. And right.
1: And that occurs at a time, if I'm not mistaken, where, you know, they're having trouble with each other, Mm -hmm. but they still manage to just do this goofy thing where they put on clown noses and take pictures where they're pretending to birth Jane Wheatland. (laughs) (laughs) That doesn't come from a group that doesn't have fun and doesn't, I think, fundamentally love each other.
3: Mm -hmm. Also, And that ultimately is what comes out, I think, is that, you know, they're like sisters. They really are. And, you know, sister, I've got three sisters and yeah, we fight, but we also love each other Yearly, and we come back around, and and they've come back around multiple times, thankfully.
1: Yeah, I would say the core five really have a good perspective on the things that went down that were ugly. The things happen like it's decided the group is over and not everyone has a say in it, or Jane Weedlin wants to express herself by singing lead on a song and nobody backs her up, and stuff that. At the time, and you could understand if someone still held a grudge, but they all seem to have a good and healthy perspective on it while still acknowledging the pain.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They don't minimize or sweep it under the rug what happened, but they all seem to have processed it. And I think too, Jane being so candid about her depression and, you know, suicidal ideation and stuff and just saying like, it has always been very hard for me. And I think so many people would try to minimize that. I think she did everybody a service by being so vulnerable about that. Yeah. I mean,
3: she wanted the film to be the coming out of her being bipolar. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and she told me when we did that interview, she said, Don't tell any of the other band members I said that. And I'm like, Whoa, that's good. Oh, wow.
0: (laughs) Oh, wow. Did you all watch it together at Sundance or or had they seen it prior to that? We watched it together
3: at Sundance. We had sent them at the exact same time, we sent all of them the link. And they watched it in varying orders. Belinda, I think, let it sit on her computer for two or three days before she had the courage to watch it. Mm. So I was a nervous wreck.
1: <laughs> yeah. Now, when was the Sundance screening? Did you guys get in under the wire before the pandemic? Yes. Like kind of right? We
3: were like the last of the pandemic. Wow.
1: Right. Because my, my recollection is I remember when it came out, for public viewing, uh, and it, yeah, was, sure it, was it was locked later, down. Yeah.
3: yeah, we were in January.
1: Man, that's,
2: that's really special that you guys got to have that. Yeah, I think during the pandemic, whenever Allison and I would chat, we would often measure time based on, like, pre-Sundance or post-Sundance, almost to, like... Yeah. Try to talk about something positive that isn't COVID. So, (laughs) yeah, yeah. no, that was the last gasp of the old world. Yeah. truly.
3: And the sad thing about COVID, though, is that, you know, the hope had been to release the film theatrically Mm -hmm. tied into their concert tours that they had lined up for that summer, that it would hit these cities. And I think it could have been an incredibly huge summer blockbuster movie. And we just didn't have that opportunity. I mean, we're lucky we got to see it with an audience a few times at Sundance, which was spectacular. I mean, the Mm -hmm. audience just went nuts. And especially when they would do their Q&A, because like I said, they are very, very funny.
1: Well, you know, I guess silver lining, and you guys maybe have thought of this, but when that movie came out was at a time when the country, if not the world, was starving for stuff. And everybody was watching, trying to get their hands on anything interesting to watch. And I think that got some eyes. To, I would like to think that got some eyes to it who maybe wouldn't have seen it if that was not going on.
3: Maybe. Yeah. I mean, you know, look, why, why not spend an hour and a half watching beautiful people make fun music and tell great stories and great antics?
1: Yeah. I have a very specific question about <laughs> the, the moment when they ditch Ginger, their original manager, and they go to a bigger management firm that is not named in (laughs) the film. Now, Uh (laughs) if you do a little bit of research, you can figure out what the management is. And there's there to me was a little bit more of a story there. May I I discuss freely and potentially can we talk about why that's not in the movie or should I cut all this out?
3: Um, You can say whatever you want. I might be quiet about it.
1: Okay. so. If you like look up old, I believe this is in an old Rolling Stone article, might be somewhere else. The Go-Go's were enticed to go to frontline management specifically to be repped by Irving Azoff.
0: Oh, boy.
1: Who at that point, and as Allison knows better than anyone else, had made the Eagles the biggest thing. And he was, you know, one of the most powerful, even at that time. You know, one of the most powerful managers. And, you know, he was inducted into the Rock Hall mm-hmm. last yeah. year. He's um, an
0: asshole, but he's our asshole. That's...
1: As, yeah, as Don Henley likes oh, to say. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Now,
1: they, so they were lured. I didn't to, know it
0: was him. I, this is information. They were lured for me. to
1: his management firm, but right as they were like almost signing the papers, he left to go run MCA records. <laughs> and so to me, that I thought was an interesting storyline of like, we're going to be rep by this guy signing on the dotted line. Oh shit. He's gone. Now, <laughs> none of that is in the movie for reasons, potentially.
3: That is true. That is what happens. I mean, I work with Irving and yeah, right. I have a relationship with him and other things. And there were some actually very funny things that Gina said about him that I think that Irving would have gotten a kick out of, but <laughs> it, at the end of the day, it wasn't about Irving. It was about Ginger. That's why right. we didn't put it in. Okay. It didn't matter who it was with. It was a suit. Mm-hmm. She got replaced by a suit and that's what was hurtful to her.
1: And maybe yeah, maybe that is a more powerful way to to tell that is, you know, the and
0: I just love ginger. I mean, I was just enamored by her from the minute that she just like comes on the scene. And then the fact that she is, she's really candid about her hurts from that situation and hearing Jane basically say, we made a huge mistake. <laughs> we should have stuck with, you know, stuck with the person who really knew and believed in us or like who understood us. Gosh, I really was feeling for her. And now that I know it was Irving Azoff interesting interesting interesting
3: <laughs> but again it doesn't really matter because he left it's just yeah it,
2: you know it, it could have been anyone filling that suit and you know the yes. point is no one could do it like ginger no, no one really was like you know, Mother Goose to the Go-Go's in the way that Ginger was. And she really mm-hmm. did, she saw them as her little flock.
0: Well, and I mean, you know, she pawned a bunch of her stuff to send them on their first tour. I mean, she really- She was, was invested tears, in, you know? in, in
1: many ways, on many levels. Yeah. But the good in.
3: news is is that they've all been in communication since the film. And I think that there's been some some mending. And certainly within the band, for me, the most moving thing at Sundance was- How many of the members came up to me and said, We're actually talking together about these things that we hadn't talked about for 40 years. Wow. And and there's healing that happens as a result of that. And frankly, the same thing happened in the Eagles film. Bernie Ledin went on to play, went back to play with the Eagles before, uh, before Glenn died. And time can heal. And these are people that have these incredibly volatile, but incredibly close relationships that they form in the process of making this beautiful art together and at some point that's what comes through and that to me that's the most important
0: thing that there's
3: the healing that happens
0: and uh, you know at a certain point like and they say that in the film it's like who else literally knows what we went through except us there are you know four other people on this planet who were there At the end of the day that's worth something to ha- to to have people who truly were there when it all happened.
1: Kristen, I kind of can't believe I'm going to be the one to bring this up, but speaking of Ginger, there's a lot of great wardrobe in this movie. Okay. Uh, <laughs> like people are looking great and like Ginger I like what Ginger's wearing, but I think top of the list is Kathleen Hanna.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh my gosh, that I mean, you know that I, I adore her. I hand-ironed that. Oh. On set, and the producer
3: was freaking out. I never let a director iron on set. I'm like, I know how to iron. I'm going to iron it. It was all
0: wrinkled. I had to iron it for her. I <laughs> love what
1: that. It paid off because I, I was like, that is it. She's looking sharp. She's looking great. Yeah.
0: yeah, that was a great shirt. Well, and I love her. And I think that the thing that we talk about on the show and I've talked about a lot is just like how important representation is. They really. Showed people that you can be a successful all woman band. That's like irreplaceable. Like you cannot overstate how important that is and how many people went on to start bands. Now, the part that is so hard and sad and tragic, in my opinion, is that, you know, we haven't had that level of success from an all-girl band since then mm-hmm. and that i think is like really tragic but i also think too this documentary too and them getting wow i'm about to say something good about the rock call say uh-oh. something good about the rock call it's not my style be- <laughs> the listeners be prepared to
1: clip <laughs> this out of the show and spread it widely go ahead exactly
0: and this is gonna come back to haunt me but like that is what I think can be good about the Rock Hall is that it's elevating the profile of this band that maybe people didn't realize just how revolutionary it was, what was happening with them. And maybe, hopefully, fingers crossed, it will inspire more young people, more young women to be in bands and to start bands and to not give up and to know that it can happen, that it doesn't have to be a male industry solely. That is one thing that is good about these annual inductions is that it's raising the profile often of very worthy artists, some more than others.
1: Mm-hmm. but and some who who could use it more than others exactly.
0: too exactly mm-hmm. and that that was one of the kind of when we were campaigning for certain people this year it was a lot about that yeah
1: and to explain what kristen means we got on the phones with voters this year we were would you call it canvassing would you call it yeah we electioneering I, what were we what yeah we're doing we were exactly? lobbying
0: we were canvassing we were canvassing we had we you did. know people had their ballot we were polling as well but we were also getting out the vote strong arm yeah we were doing GOTV that's what we were doing (laughs) (laughs) i wouldn't strong strong arming and the gogo's were at the top of the list for us it was absolutely at the top of
1: the list for us but the truth is we did not have to like convince too many people because they were already they would you know that was already a, a check in the ballot box that they were already making
3: yeah i mean the fact that they're being inducted is yeah sure the film was helpful just in reminding people but they deserve it They've deserved it for a long time, and you know. And I'm glad that there's a lot of attention this year being paid to a lot of great women being inducted too. And that's mm-hmm. often,
0: women have often been overlooked in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and nowhere—I mean, not. I was about to say nowhere more than LOL. Many places <laughs> more than. Yeah, yeah, there are but, plenty of places, sadly, uh, including and especially on the even just like the number of nominees. You know, there it's often that you couldn't even vote for many women on if you even if you wanted to there weren't even available to you on the ballot I think it's really great to imagine young women seeing that and thinking oh that could be me that looks cool that looks fun I think oftentimes you hear about bands or women in rock music and they're talking about their relation to men you know, they were someone's girlfriend or they were trying to impress someone, et cetera, et cetera. It was like these women wanted to be a part of this scene and they wanted to do it with other women.
3: It's interesting that you bring that up because we, other than Jane and Terry and Jane and Gina, we really don't bring up relationships in the film. Mm-hmm. And we did that That's intentionally true. because it mm-hmm. was, they were focused on their music and they had things going on, but that wasn't what was important for their story. Yeah. yeah.
1: Uh, speaking of Jane and Gina, was that something that the documentary exposed? Was that something that people knew about that there was a time where, where Jane Wheatland and Gina Shock were having a relationship?
3: I don't think most people knew about it. I knew about it. Brett knew about it. You know, uh, certainly a lot of people did. But I think the general public, I think that was that was news. And Gina just went there. I didn't force her at all. She just went there.
1: And she has a very funny attitude about it. You know, yeah, there's, there's the that moment where great. she says. She said, she's like, and then she dumped me and it, it seems like it's going to be serious. And then she breaks out in the laughter.
2: Yeah. So good. Yeah. Th- to what you guys were saying about how it seems like all the members have processed the toughest parts of things and, you know, that they've talked through it and they're comfortable with everything that happened. like, I, I think for Gina and Jane, that moment was such a small thing. Uh, mm-hmm. And they, I think Gina was excited to just laugh.
1: Yeah.
3: yeah. And Jane was happy that she brought it up because mm-hmm. Jane didn't bring it up at all. I
0: interviewed Jane before Gina. Uh, just kind of speaking of stuff that maybe we didn't see footage of. There's they talk about the SNL performance. Oh, where that's got to be
1: expensive, right? That's, I, that that yeah, was yeah. my. That was my. The NBC
0: uh, vault. The archive yeah, is course. just just too. But much. you know what?
3: It's not just money. It's it because they truly are messed up in that. But in order for you to really see it. You have to play almost the whole thing for it to come across. And mm-hmm. Gina, in her genius, was taking pictures of everything. She captured the moments of how <laughs> fucked up they were on single frames. Uh-huh. So we could just use 30 seconds
0: of it and get boom, 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 get out. And it was better told that way, honestly. Mm-hmm. I mean, just what a gold mine. All of her photos were wow. How there was amazing. Chaos in her
3: part her house in San Francisco. She's like, Oh, there's some shit in that drawer. We pull it out, and there'd be like a thousand Polaroids, you pull up another drawer. So I was like trying to organize it for her. It was nuts. But I did organize it for her. I hope she didn't throw it all back in boxes. <laughs> it
1: that was very nice of you. Wow. I want to give a, a shout out to Paula Jean Brown. Oh yeah. yeah. You know, a, a late addition to both the movie and the group. You know, she, she steps in when Jane Weedland leaves and you know, she's not with the band for very long, but her presence And what she does is so important. I mean, she saves Charlotte's life. And that was such a powerful moment. And I, I thought it was interesting that it took an outsider to step in and see the problem immediately
2: and got her the help she needed. Yeah. I'd say within, especially to Paula's credit, she had never played a gig like Rock and Rio. Like she, mm-hmm. she had been <laughs> yeah. only in really like obscure, unknown bands. And so amidst all the excitement, I'm sure she felt the fact that she was brave enough to say to this new person, Charlotte, who she was really indebted to for the opportunity, but mm-hmm. just telling her about how uh, she needed help. Yeah, no, Paul is a brave person for sure. Yeah. And then she writes mad about you. I mean, come yeah. on.
0: That was one of the things that I thought was so interesting about the movie was, and it's so interesting about the band. It is so uncommon for so many people in a band to all be gifted songwriters. Yeah. You've three great songwriters and it's just really a lot of incredible talent. I think that the movie talks about it and stuff too about the value that we place for, on songwriting versus performance and kind of like how much more money you can make if you are a songwriter. And we just were talking about the Black Godfather last week, but like, you know, one of the big things that he is always telling to his, he was always telling to his clients and to anyone that he was advising was you have to own your master's and you have to own the publishing rights. Like those are things that you absolutely have to do. Absolute props forever and ever. To Ginger for yeah. knowing that, saving them from getting that terrible first record deal that so often is what happens to bands. We've just seen that story over and over again. It, their debut album is their biggest selling, best of all time, and they made twenty dollars off it because they got a terrible deal because they were so excited to sign something. You know, it's a tricky,
3: it's a tricky thing. But you know, I do think that the bands that have had a lot of longevity are ones, you know, like u two and REM that. They just say we share everything across the board right and don't delineate that way because everyone does contribute there
0: are two sides to mm-hmm. the story and I get it I get it but I was very disappointed when Jane left I was watching them I'm like no she leaves but I'm watching I'm like don't leave for what for this it's not it. Don't do it. You know, come on. And then also just seeing how much it hurts Gina and Kathy and like, yeah, it's hard to be just a drummer out there. You know, a drummer rarely is the focus point of a band, a few major exceptions, but like it, it is it's a, it's a thankless hard. job. Yeah. It's like also one of those things where if you're not a songwriter too, and she's like, I'm not a trained musician and I'm not real. well, she went on to be a songwriter, but you yeah. know, it was like, she had, she's like, I love the band. I want to stay in the band. And it's so, ugh. Oh, I was so hard for, I was like, Jane, don't go. Why'd you do it? But she like wanted the respect. Like I get it. She did
1: principles to- and yeah, stuck to her guns and you have to respect that.
3: Yeah. I
0: guess. Come on.
3: The other thing you have to remember is about every it was the 80s. <laughs> there was a lot of drugs going on and it doesn't it doesn't help people's perspective on things. Yeah. Right.
0: Tale as old as time, but a true story, and that's why we keep telling it. But it's like money ruins everything. <laughs> that's when the yep. fun stops. Like yep. the money comes in and then now everybody's miserable. They're playing the biggest stadiums of their lives. Their dream is coming true and they're, they've never been less happy. And I was just like, give them a break. Let's get, let's, let's give them a vacation over here.
1: It's all they ever wanted.
0: Yeah, vacation. I did hear that it was all they, they, they ever wanted. <laughs> they <laughs> all say the
3: early years were the happiest times, the most fun, the most exciting. And ones they look back with, uh, at, with the fondest memories. Mm -hmm. but that's true of of life and that's why and that's why i think these things transcend just people who are into music per se they become their human stories Mm -hmm. you know we all have this inflated idea of what our dream is and then we look back and we go oh shit getting there was actually the better part Mm -hmm. i miss the better part worrying about getting there
0: Mm -hmm. right because you know once you have something now it's like you could lose it that's why i don't ever plan to be successful i just keep journeying.
1: there you go hey. keep saying that so yeah that we we obviously see after jane leaves the that's kind of the beginning of the end and the band eventually breaks up and we get some flashes of you know what they do after the band is gone i have to i don't know if this is my top easter egg but you see a photo of the band, House of Shock. And one of the members of House of Shock is a guy named Vance DeGeneres, who had a comedy career and is Ellen DeGeneres' brother. What? I was about- And that's, it's a fleeting moment. It's only like truly for like comedy nerds. You're like, Vance DeGeneres was a correspondent on The Daily Show for a little bit and is Ellen's brother. But you see it like in a a promo photo for Gina's post-GoGo's band.
2: So Joe, did, did you just recognize Vance from the photo? You know Vance that well. Is that it, right?
1: It has all their names.
2: Oh, it has the yeah, names, it's yeah. No, under right. name. Yeah.
1: And I would I would not have recognized an old picture of Vance degeneris from his face alone, but no, it was it was the it was the name. Oh, for sure. Yeah. The, to me, that's a it's also like one of the Easter eggs where like I want to like point and yell it out, and everyone's like, Well, what are you talking about?
3: We had at one point a bit of him talking of them talking. Did we cut that out? I can't remember
2: vance yeah vance is not talking as far as i know vance
3: and gina had had, they had a little bit in there at one point but we had to cut it i guess so
2: yeah joe i i think i had the same reaction uh it must have been when i looked at the photo and i i googled vance Degeneres just in case there can't be that many degeneruses Uh and i think i called allison because i was so blown away with it and yeah it just sort of you know there it is vance yeah
0: Well, here's another Easter egg. Vance DeGeneres' wife, Joanna, is a headshot photographer, and she took my headshots in Chicago. Whoa! uh, Ten years ago. Wow. Incredible. (laughs) Because I was like, "Wait, Ellen has a Ellen has a brother too." Because I knew that like Joanna DeGeneres was awesome was in some way related to Ellen. But now I just Googled it and realized that, no, she's Ellen's sister-in-law. Mm. And she is married to Vance, who was apparently on The Daily Show. And,
1: and wow. in House of Shock. House of Shock. Most but importantly. House of shock. So, yeah, we, we see, you know, what happens after the Go-Go's and we see the rebirth of the Go-Go's. They, they come back in the Hollywood Walk of Fame and the Broadway musical. And we see them playing together. You know, back together, performing music for the first time in a while, and, and- everybody's
0: wearing glasses, looking at their music. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I think it's great. Yeah, I think I want to see more things like that. I want to see more women in their middle ages, rocking, Kick ass. living, being alive, looking like human beings. Like yeah, our, I our want culture that. tends to
1: <laughs> not show that, which is unfortunate.
0: Yeah, I. I had a I question,
1: <laughs> Gina loses the beat because she, she grabs a coffee or, or whatever happens when they're rehearsing. And then she says, you know, it doesn't hurt to rehearse. It only makes you tighter, which we had heard early on in the, in the movie. Did you just use that clip in the beginning or is that something she literally has been saying in that? Is that like a, a phrase of hers that she's been saying for 40
3: years? Oh, both are true.
1: Okay.
2: It's one of history's mysteries.
3: Yes.
1: Yeah. fair enough because at, at that time in the movie you know it's the introduction of gina and she's a workhorse and she whips everybody into shape and you hear that phrase and you think like oh maybe this is just they were recording something and it's it's you know it w- was recorded to tape but then you hear it <laughs> the exact same phrasing later and i was just I, that was my
3: well we tried to treat it so it sounded like it was archived earlier
1: <laughs> right and and you did it it certainly fool to me
0: <laughs> absolutely we're really we're learning the easter eggs are, are all coming out we're finding them
1: so the movie ends on rock and roll hall of fame talk it does it does the final moments before the mm-hmm. credits there's some stuff mid-roll but uh is and it's not them talking about it it's you know chris Connolly and, and miles copeland and kathleen Hanna. uh the decision to make that the final moment is that well, if, if anything, it would help. Is that the thinking?
3: From my perspective, I was so pissed that they weren't inducted the year that we were gonna take all that shit out. Mm-hmm. And I said, fuck it, we're keeping it in. And I was fully prepared for the band to say, eh, maybe we shouldn't do it. And they were like, "Ah, oh, yeah, fuck it, we'll leave it in. So it just, you know, they all say they don't care, but they do, and I care for them. And, it, it, and also it was funny. <laughs>
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I think yes. it, it, it's a note that I do think ending on it a- and the acknowledgement of it, let alone the whole documentary, like I said, I think it's the, that momentum that was built. I do think it, it played a part in their induction, and so I thank you, <laughs> but like g- genuinely, I, I mean, like yeah. what a, a great culmination, uh, what a year for them, and can we talk about your
3: involvement with the induction ceremony, um, I'm I'm cutting their their videotape for the for the induction. So the package, which is the package, you know
0: one of our favorite parts of the ceremony.
1: Always, the, always the I love These it. induction ceremonies, these packages are are so much fun, and I think I'm so glad that you're doing it because. You're, you have the qualifications to do so.
3: Yeah, well, we're using a lot of the film. I'm just trying to show their progression. It's, it, you know,
2: it, it, it's going to be fun. How long is the, uh, the package, Allison? Eight, What's the eight, run? Mi- eight minutes. Okay. <laughs> just personally thinking about this, like we spent a good year plus of our lives putting together a 90-minute telling mm-hmm. of their story, mm-hmm. and now mm-hmm. you have to put it into eight. I do not envy you, but you're a bold <laughs> wonderful wizard
1: so does it yeah. have to get shorter still because usually last year was different because it was like a pandemic special sure. it was almost like a documentary so some of these packages were like 15 20 15, minutes long
3: yeah. yeah they're saying eight
1: this year but they're, they're saying eight okay interesting because yeah. that is that's like kind of in the middle from last yeah, I mean, year and
3: then... shift one way or the other a little bit i think but yeah but you know, it'll be okay i just it's just, you know, there's so much good stuff. It's like, you know, an embarrassment of,
1: course. of bitches. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's going to be, be better than you. Okay. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. One thing I know it's like to shave off so many crucial, important things to make that small time frame. But one of the things I do think that is genuinely cool about it being a little bit shorter is like it punches you, like the impact it hits you. And that's always a fun and exciting thing about those packages is that you get a lot very quickly.
0: Yeah, you it's so like real. Amped up. <laughs> yeah, it's a real rush. Even bands that you don't like or think that you care about it all by the end of a of good little mini you're pump, doc. You're, you're like, your oh fist. my gosh, I do. They should be in the rock hall. I care about the Doobie Brothers, I guess. <laughs> How did this happen to me,
1: uh, Allison? Are have you been talking to the band at all about their induction?
0: Not
3: recently. We uh, haven't sp- spoken with them in a little while, but I uh, probably will again
0: soon. I haven't told them I'm doing the film for them. Breaking news! Breaking news. <laughs> wow. Once again, who cares about the Rock Halls? Got the scoop. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to call me and say, all right, the bit you cut out about this, I want that in. <laughs>
1: right, right, yeah. They they should yeah. not know because, yeah. <laughs> exactly.
0: To... Yeah, send it to them when it's done. Look, the highlight of the highlight reel.
1: Let them let see it at the induction. That's, that's the yeah. move. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't know if either of you guys know this, but it is, at least publicly, a question mark If Belinda Carlisle is going to be in attendance?
3: Oh, because coming from Thailand?
1: She has a UK tour that was booked a while ago with some conflicting dates, and the date of the ceremony is one of them.
3: I don't. I'm. I'm not saying that knowing you don't know, but you have. Yeah, we we feel
0: similarly. Yeah,
3: she's just causing drama.
2: (laughs) I mean, hey, stir it up, Belinda.
0: Well, I mean, exactly. I mean, that's what Kathy was saying. She's like, you know, and we gave Belinda a hard time for being a diva.
1: (laughs) I mean, and I mean, on the record, we love Belinda. And I say like, hey, Belinda, maybe squeeze some dollars out of the rock hall to help you reorient your tour and cancel those dates. And, you know, you know, play it, play play it smartly, but also show up. Because this is my other question with the Rock Hall induction, would you consider an addendum to the
3: movie? Uh, interesting. I don't know. I feel like if they wanted to do it, I would, you know, totally support them doing it. I'm not sure I would do it.
1: Mm-hmm. Just because I'm thinking it ends on that note of like, why aren't they in? I don't know. See, see how it looks sne- after the induction sneaking in, you know. The, oh, maybe
3: maybe that would be okay. Just sneak something in at the end, like a joke. Roll it even. in
1: over credits. Yeah, roll exactly. It put over it credits, put yeah. it mid-roll or something. And yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. That'd be fun.
1: Get because it, it would give you that that satisfaction.
0: Yeah. No, that's an interesting idea. Joe's that's, out here changing hearts and minds.
2: <laughs> that means Allison loves it. That's her way <laughs> of saying dynamite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Thank you, thank you for the translation, Brett. Uh- yeah, yeah. You're welcome.
1: <laughs> well, uh, before we wrap up, is there anything? About this movie, whether it is like stuff that you wish that you could have included but had to leave on the cutting room floor, or anything about the process that we haven't covered that that you would like to share, either of you.
3: I mean, I the sad thing for me was not including their their road manager Bruce Patron, who died last year, um, not of COVID but of some something else, and. He was so funny and there were so many great scenes, but at some point the film was almost too funny and we had to balance the, so we ended up having to cut him out of the film and we told him before we were gonna play in Tribeca, which of course didn't happen. And he was very supportive and then he passed away and that was very sad. Um, Mm. So so I'm trying to sneak a little bit of him into the rock and roll Hall of Fame package.
0: Oh, that's that's great. That's
1: great. I think it's a very nice gesture.
0: Yeah. And also will be something to look out for. Yeah,
1: Brett, what what about you? Anything that you
2: remember reviewing that you you felt bad that had to be left out? Interestingly, like when you're working on these things, you, I think working with Allison, like we focus so much on like boiling things down to the most essential version of the story as much as we could. So it's not like any huge plot points or stories stick out. I know at one point I was arguing to like, Put a lot more sort of '80s pop culture flavor in the movie, okay? It, including, I don't know, it, including like intros from '80s shows or something, it, like TV appearances. Maybe they did Ouija board, um, Brett.
3: Ouija board. You wanted the Ouija <laughs> board. What?
2: Well, what? Okay. Ouija board, Rubik's cube. Yeah, that's what
0: I was going to say. Was it like a Rubik's cube spins across, wipes the screen? (laughs) Great Ouija board story. Tell it.
2: No, no, that was all goofy stuff. But no, Allison is right. We, (laughs) We did go back and forth a lot on a Ouija board scene where... Where Belinda and Pleasant Gaiman, who is in the film, Mm -hmm. they speak about their time in Disgrace Land. Is that right, Allison? Yep. I feel like you're going to kill this story much better than I would because well, they do the
3: Ouija board thing and they say what they ask a question and that says this room is dirty, (laughs) and then (laughs) and then there was something else that happened. I don't remember. It was like some crazy thing, but it was a really funny scene. But it took like a minute and. It
2: was like, am I remembering correctly? Didn't the Ouija board call them sluts? Is that right? That's right. The punchline was the Ouija board called them sluts. That's right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: A fun moment. Maybe doesn't move the story along, but (laughs) yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs)
0: We'll see if it makes it into the Rock Hall package. Fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> People will be like, who is Pleasant Gaming? Mm-hmm. She'll make it
1: Okay, cool, <laughs> cool, cool, cool. Oh, cool. Well, I want to thank both of you for taking the time to join us on the show. This was really great. And uh, it's exciting to know that there, there's more coming from you, Allison, at the Rock Hall. So yeah. that's, that's really exciting. Of course, the documentary is just called The Go-Go's, which is... To the point and I love it. Allison and Brett, thank you so much. Is there anything you would like to plug before we wrap up? Anything that's out or you're working on to look forward to?
3: Not at the moment. I've stuff in the works.
2: Okay. All right. Top secret projects, but the one plug I would say is uh everyone should make sure they listen front to back to the Go-Go's Beauty and the Beat album. I, I think it's so accessible and it's like Head to Toe, it is such such a good album. So many great songs. Agreed. Um, There,
1: There will be songs on there that you will go how was this not a hit song? How do I not already know this? This is my new favorite song.
2: Oh yeah, it's deep.
0: I felt that about a lot of the songs that were like playing in the movie. I was like, oh, this is a great song. Yes, even times when they were like, oh, and then we don't like this album or like this was, we were having a really hard time. I'm like, and yet the songs. (laughs) I will also say,
1: I think the second album is great. I think the album Vacation is great. I know they- they dismiss it. it will feel like they could have used more time making it, but it's, it's got some good gems in there even beyond just the, the title track.
3: I think all three of them are packed with gems. The first one is almost perfect. The second and third are damn close. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, uh, the, our final note is go listen to the Go-Go's.
0: Yeah, it, get it'll out just, there.
1: Just make your life better
2: for
1: sure our listeners know they can follow us at Pod on twitter and instagram Rockallpod at gmail.com is the email if you want Kristen to see that designate that somewhere in your message otherwise I'm not going to forward it to her she doesn't want to read it subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts rate and review us five stars only even if you think we're a solid four give us five because really that's the only meaningful way to to do that thank you to Mike Lloyd for the logo thank you to Yusu Kim for the music thank you to Pantheon Podcast for hosting us I'm Joe Quizala.
0: I'm Kristen Studdard and who cares about the rock hall